This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Farmer Rishi is a farmer gardener, a teacher, thinker, and lover of life based in Southern California. He's the executive director of the Sarvodaya Institute there. He leads by example and by invitation, working in the field of regeneration. His intention is to joyfully increase understanding around the basic principles behind the healing of our bodies, both our physical bodies and our shared earthen body. Farmer Rishi, it is a great pleasure to be speaking with you today. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to be here. You know, if I ask you, uh, what is your motivating or organizing principle around your relationship with the plants in your life where you are based, uh, what would that be? My organizing principle is that my garden and I are not separate, that we are one body that uh, is in a caring, uh, is seeking a caring relationship with itself. And I'm just trying to find a role within the garden where I can offer nourishment and receive nourishment in a way that is uplifting of that whole body. So before we move into the heart of your current work, uh, take us back a little bit. Where were you born and raised and who were the people and places and plants that would lead you to be a person for whom this was an important um, and loving, caring relationship in your life? I was born in, uh, in Los Angeles, in the suburb of Los Angeles heavily Asian American suburb of Los Angeles. And I grew up uh, in a very, I don't know what you might describe as like a safe and very insulated community where, you know, I was pretty focused for most of my life on just school and academics for most of my young life on school and academics. I wouldn't say that I placed a lot of importance on, you know, the outdoors or plants, definitely not gardening. It's something that gardening is something that I did have some relationship with just because I, my mom was, was always interested in gardening. Um, my grandparents maintained a garden, you know, at, at their home ever since I could remember, but it wasn't something that I was ever involved in or interested in. Mm -hmm. very focused, you know, again, on, for most of my young, young life, um, on school, academics, uh, I was actually really interested in, you know, technology and computers. I actually, I ran a computer repair business when I was, um, when I was in high school. <laughs> and then I went to school, uh, to get a computer science degree. And it was actually there in college that I, started to get interested in in plants primarily because I was I was having some health issues already by that age I was having a lot of digestive issues and I was so I was kind of ex experimenting with you know different types of diets and then like I started on hearing about organic food and I wanted to know what that was and so I tried uh, starting to you know grow some of my own food in pots in my, you know, college apartment. That was like the first, first time I ever tried gardening. 
So about how old were you and and where were you at school when this took place? I was um, probably 20 years old and I was at school in UC San Diego. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did that path continue and and how did that work out? Like, did you start to see changes in your health and... I, yeah, I definitely started seeing changes in my health. I started to cook, you know, I was eating a lot of fresh food. I was doing yoga and I was meditating and, and definitely those things helped and, and made me feel a lot stronger. And it was definitely part of my path deeper into gardening. I started to really get not just understanding gardening as a way to improve my own health, but as a way to also engaged with you know something else that I was interested in which was climate change so I you know I was involved with some environmental organizations on campus I eventually joined a group of students that was trying to restart community garden on our on our campus and then I I spent a, a summer before and after I graduated from college on a on a farm in India spent about a total of seven months on that farm learning more about growing food and and especially growing food in a kind of ancient way, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm starting to um, maybe get a sense that uh, the growing food for health and growing food and or any plants for the health of the planet, these two things are starting to converge in your life. How did you get to India? Where were you in India? Tell us a little bit more about what this seven months entailed. Yeah, I was reading books by Vandana Shiva. Mm -hmm. She was an author that someone had introduced me to, and I was very interested in her ideas and then found out that there was a farm that was part of her her organization. It's um, in the outskirts of a city called Dehradun in uh, northern India. So you went to Navdanya? Yeah. Yeah, that's the farm I went to. Oh, wow. yeah. Listeners will will recognize um, that name and that it's Vandana Shiva's farm. Uh, she was uh, one of the featured women in my book, The Earth in Her Hands. And so her seed work and, and the work of Navdanya uh, and her her many missions with it uh, are are familiar to people. So keep going. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, uh, I think she was getting more well-known at that time, but wasn't super well-known. So when I emailed, I actually just emailed her, her, her personal email was on the, the website and I emailed her and she responded and she was like, yeah, you can come. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what year was this? That would have been 2009. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. And so you, what, what do your family think of this new bent in your life, moving from uh, repairing computers to going to live uh, in India with the farmers of Navdanya? My, you know, I have a a diverse set of uh, people in my family. My mom was very in favor of it because she's, uh, she's always been excited about gardening and and so she was pretty encouraging. My dad, you know, he's kind of, he, I think he was kind of either way about it. He's been very open to me, kind of taking whatever path makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, in my extended family, I would say there was more questioning, <laughs> more questioning my my choices and maybe people thinking that 
this is just some exploratory phase of my life. And yeah. I'll come back and get, get a job in software. <laughs> okay, so you you write to Vandana Shiva. She says, come, mm-hmm. it, it, take us on, on that adventure with you. Describe that for us. Yeah, uh, you know, I went. I, of course, have family in India, um, made my way to the farm, had I traveled a little bit uh, on my own in India before and, you know, somewhat familiar with the culture and, and language. But yeah, I arrived on the farm really not knowing what to expect. When I got there, it was definitely a bit disorganized. Um, there was a lack of communication between a lot of the volunteers that were there who were, you know, primarily white European and, you know, a staff that is local and non-English speaking. So there was a bit of a gap and it took some time for me to settle in, but then it was a very rewarding experience. I, I actually got to be the translator a lot of the time and, and, you know, was able to just hear the experiences, you know, I got, I think I got a very full experience just learning from the people who were visiting Um, learning from the farmers who work there on the land. And just like, you know, in terms of the actual farming, learning just how, I mean, how physically demanding, you know, farming rice and wheat unmechanized with cows and oxen. And it was a very intense um, summer. I, I arrived there I think, you know, sometime in, in June or early July, which was post-rice planting and pre-rice harvest. So we really spent just days and days squat walking through rice fields, weeding out the grasses that weren't rice, you know, which it's a very, <laughs> it, it was my first time like really learning to train my eyes to distinguish between plants you know i'm sure you have this experience where people who aren't gardeners can't like literally can't tell two completely different plants apart i can't tell a palm tree from a oak tree and it was you know being in this field where you need to quickly squat walk through this entire field and remove all the grasses except the the grass that is the rice right you know um, that yeah, that must have been quite um, a literacy uh, education in in the visual forms and uh, you know shades of green right, yeah. and uh, to to help you differentiate because that's a that's a pretty fine difference and maybe refresh for listeners the premise of Navdanya and their focus on things like wheat or rice and uh, the the biodiversity of those crops and how they are are tended and how that ties in rishi to our global health our communal health our economic health um and then our our actual physical body health sure yeah i mean navdanya was was a pretty formative experience for me definitely my my views on things have you know changed over the years as i've been through my own experiences but yeah primer on Navdanya the farm I would say it's an educational farm with a focus on seed diversity um, so when I'm saying that we were 
we, when I was working on fields of rice, there was actually the fields were divided into all these small, you know, maybe 10 by 10 or 10 by 20 plots where each plot had a different variety of rice. I believe there was 500 varieties of rice planted when I was there. So as you looked out in the field, you could see almost like a, a checkerboard different, you know, every single different variety of rice, some short, some tall, some green, some light green, some red, some purple, and each variety collected from a different place in the Himalayan region, which is a, you know, an ancient area for rice cultivation. And they, they maintain and propagate and distribute these rice varieties to farmers who are looking to um, move back to traditional varieties from, from the hybrid varieties that were, were pushed by, you know, the Ford Foundation and Norman Borla and, and the Indian government for the last 40 years, 50 years. What are the primary things you took away from that experience? And then where did you go from there? And, and what did you decide to do with that learning? Yeah, I think one of the main things for me just coming into it was this uh, change in experience of what a farm is. He, growing up here in California, um, and you know, of course not living on a farm and living in a suburb, like my experience of farms was driving up and down Highway 5 and passing through you know, these areas where I had to roll up the windows and put on the recirculating air because it smelled so terrible from the cattle operations that, you know, these massive cattle operations that, that are along the, that five freeway. And so I had this, you know, I, like many people, I think have this idea of, of farming as kind of gross and dirty and not something that I would want to be a part of. And then, you know, that shift in perspective going to Navdanya where being on a farm was, it was beautiful. There was um, so many rich fragrances. There was so much, just all types of beauty, you know, from the plant life, the flowers, the animals, and actually, you know, experiencing cows in a very like soft and gentle way. And the, the experience of engaging in physical work in a community and, and seeing that as something that uh, doesn't necessarily have to be drudgery, um, mm -hmm. though it can be, it definitely can be, and it can be very difficult and challenging. And that was a huge shift in perspective for me. There wasn't a lot, you know, of actual farming practice that I could bring back with me here to America just because things are so different, you know, from a rural farm in India that's focused on, you know, grain and, and lentil cultivation to coming back to the U.S. and starting in the urban farming world where, where everything is, you know, vegetable focused, much smaller scale, a little more technologically, I don't know if I want to say, I don't want to say developed, but uh, there's some use of technology and, you know, irrigation and these kind of things. So I, I guess it was just a really eye-opening experience for me. And, and it uh, 
solidified that farming and gardening was something I wanted to engage with more to learn about more and see how I could use, you know, it, it was an experience that was very nourishing for me. So I wanted to just find more of that nourishment and also see how I could kind of propagate that nourishment in my life. This is Cultivating Place. Farmer Rishi is a regenerative farmer gardener based in Southern California. Having studied under Vandana Shiva at her Navdanya farm in India, Rishi returned to Southern California to take up organic and regenerative urban farming. We'll be right back after a quick break with more from Rishi on how that next step worked out and how it didn't work out. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. Happy autumnal equinox, garden friends in the Northern Hemisphere, and vernal equinox to you all in the South. Another marker of this constant circle around the seasons. I've been thinking about what to hold and take with me in mind and heart from the summer season behind us. In the vegetable garden, we had tremendous early tomatoes, and all season long, we had excellent shishito peppers. We gave corn a go in a new spot, and while the plants did pretty well, underplanted with beans and with squash plants off to the sides, the corn cobs were very small. Pretty good kernel set, but very petite cobs. We did plant a selection called Golden Bantam, so maybe we should have expected this. What we did eat was sweet and delicious, but short. (laughs) After a late frost last spring, we had no fruit set at all on our apricot, which had copious fruit last summer, but we had the best fruit set we've ever had on young four-year-old pear trees, which we were envisioning in all of their pear perfection at exactly this moment in the season. The small orchard is fenced for deer for the first time this year, and we carefully bagged our 20 or so pears to protect them from the birds as they ripened. We were all set. It was gonna be great. And then one morning last week, just short of possible harvest, of course, John noticed a dirty little bag on the ground beneath one of the trees. And then he noticed all the bags. And then it registered. Nearly every single pair was gone. Bags, not very neatly, opened and dropped to the ground below the trees. Now, We're not career farmers or gardeners, but you all know the crushed feeling we had at this small but sharp loss. And then, well, then we had the realization that some wild one was well fed that night. A raccoon, a fox, a skunk, we're not sure, but we still have some apples and the farmers of our region to hold us. What were your highs and lows from the season? I'd love to hear. You know how. Send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com. Or tag me or comment on my weekly post on Instagram, where you will find me at cultivating underscore place.
We're back now to our conversation with farmer Rishi. As we come back, Rishi shares more about the early years developing his current Sarvodaya Institute farm and the lessons he learned through his many different farming iterations on what he wanted to do with the new institute and what he did not want to do or focus on in this work. It's been a very long journey. I've been through many, many, many phases. Uh, you know, I, I tell people I'm only 33 years old, but I, I do feel like somewhat of a, a veteran here in the LA urban farming movement. I came back, I, I knew that I wanted to continue with farming, but I, you know, I was just living with my parents in the suburbs of LA. I started with literally just converting my parents' house, starting a garden there that is now, you know, it's somewhat well known over here in the gardening community. I've started just putting putting in putting into practice a lot of what I learned uh, gardening, when, starting to garden when I was in college, and you know, being on this farm, and then continuing to learn and implement new ideas, and planting lots of trees, and putting in swales and terraces and ponds and all that stuff. Uh, so I started at my parents. I tried um, running a little bit of a of a educational center out of their home, teaching classes, giving tours. Then I tried doing doing that for other people, kind of you know tried doing a little bit of landscaping. That was pretty short lived. Uh, I tried working with school a school district for a year. I worked for local school district for a year on their school garden program. I worked at the LA Arboretum Botanic Garden for a year. And then I finally decided that I really wanted to try out what I was learning on a, on a bigger space. And I started, I found a, someone who was willing to let me use, use his land that was you know just at, in the back of his very large residential property. And that was when I started Servodea Farms, um, which is, the farm and organization which I am still working on today. Tell us about it and your its mission and your goals for it and maybe contextualize some of the lessons you've learned about what you don't want to do and how not to do this work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can I give you a little bit of history too? Because the farm as it is now is quite different from you know a previous iteration. Yes. Okay, so yeah, I started the farm in uh, 2014 with the idea that we would be an educational farm that was uh, growing and selling produce. And I had this in my head, you know, it was just something very idyllic to me. And I, f I felt like I wanted to... Uh, embody this symbol of the farmer who is growing and selling food to his community and so we you know we set up the farm with a in a row crop style um started mm -hmm. eventually started a csa program and concurrently we're running a farmer training program so this is the first version of the farm was uh teaching people how to grow food through this farmer training program, and then selling that food that we were growing through a CSA program. And okay. we 
the farm was that was run that way from 2014 to 2017. We eventually had uh, like 38 members in our CSA program. We had about 45, I believe, people go through our farmer training program. And by the end of that, I was so burned out that I had a, a pretty intense just health crash on all levels and essentially had to shut the farm down for a year and a half as I recovered. And now we're in the second iteration of Sarvonia Farms, which is quite different from the first. Can you give us any insights into the urgency and intensity that led to the health breakdown? And are there insights into that that you can offer out to people to help them avoid that moment? Because I, I feel it on so many levels uh, in, in the people out there doing this kind of educational and um, mission-based regenerative work. And we need to support them and we need to support ourselves and each other so that we can keep this work going in its own sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are a number of lessons too that I learned from, from that experience. And I think you've, you hinted in your question to um, a lot of the issues, which are, you know, the sense of urgency, the sense of mission, the sense of, putting, I think at the core, the idea is putting the earth before yourself. And what people, what most people in the environmental movement miss is that there's no difference between the earth and yourself. And so when you're putting the earth and you're putting the environment before yourself, you are doing neither. Uh, you're you're just harming yourself and uh, you will you know almost I would I, I don't want to say certainly but uh, you're headed down the the direction of crash um, and that was that was uh, you know that's what happened to me but that was also built into the structure of how I conceptualized the farm you know, the, the ideas behind the farm, it was like so built in that I couldn't see it. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't smell it. Like it was, you know, the, it was, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, that, why am I, uh, why am I so stressed out? Why is my health declining while I'm eating all of this supposedly regeneratively grown food? that I'm growing on my farm, you know, like I'm eating all of this beautiful, you know, produce from tomatoes to zucchinis to peppers to broccoli to kohlrabi and uh, every, any, everything and everything we're, we're growing um, and I'm, I'm eating it, but I'm, I'm suffering here. And, and so wait, can you, can you describe that a little more tangibly? How was that pathway towards that level of stress built into the way the farm was structured. Can you describe that? Because I think that's kind of a, a key aspect of this conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of it, I think, has to do with how we conceptualize the problem that we're trying to address. So, you know, on a, even on an urban farm scale, we have so much emphasis on, on you know, the, either the food that we're producing and the quantity of food that we're producing, right? We measure the success of urban farms by how much food they produce and how much food do they distribute into the community. Um, the other thing we may, people tend to think about is carbon sequestration, because we've been told that uh, carbon is the cause of climate change, which I vehemently disagree with. Carbon is a symptom uh, of a extremely, you know, a damaged planet, um, but it's not a cause. And, and so we're judging, you know, we're judging our work based on these two measures that uh, we seemingly can never do enough of, especially on an urban farm scale, right? Like you can never grow enough food to fulfill the needs of an urban community on an urban farm. It's just, it's just, you know, it's almost laughable to think that you could. Uh, and in the same way, it's almost laughable to think that, you know, uh, a half acre farm uh, would have, would be drawing down enough carbon to really make any, any significant impact on, you know, the carbon sequestration that's, that's needed uh, for climate change. So you're always in a, you're in a state of emergency, you're in a state of wanting to do more and more and more. And you're also to, to add on to the, uh, the stresses uh, you're trying to fulfill a financially impossible task, which is to grow food on the most expensive land in the world with the most expensive water in the world. And, you know, either, I don't know, somehow sell it at a reasonable price or possibly even give it away and pay yourself to do that. Right, right. Okay, so what 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 lessons did you take from this, and how did you restructure the new farm differently? Yeah, uh, I've learned many, many, many lessons uh, in the last years. Um, you know, one I already mentioned, which is that my health is the Earth's health; those are not separable things, uh, and so I've I have been learning how to care for myself. That's number one. That's actually so far number one above anything else. And to treat myself well and take care of myself in all the ways that uh, I need to take care of myself. Because I'm, I'm a whole body that has a variety of needs and desires. Number two, that I'm trying, to, I've tried to maybe not eliminate the sense of, I don't know if it's eliminate the sense of urgency or understand where the sense of urgency is coming from and uh, how to respond to those, those feelings of stress. Uh, and I know I'm speaking in very vague terms here. <laughs> and I, I intend to get more specific. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just want to stress that 
the the environmental world really encourages you to to not think about yourself and i i i strongly disagree with that with that uh, viewpoint so what i've tried to do is is uh create a structure both in the farm and in my life where uh i'm valuing myself I'm valuing the work I do. I'm valuing the other people I work with. I'm valuing the land that we're on, that we have to to uh, tend, the plants that are there, the people that come and visit us. I I seek in the structure of our farm to create a space and a system that sees that everyone is valuable at all times for absolutely no reason. <laughs> You don't need any reason to think that you're valuable. You just are, and you have uh, desires and and needs that uh, you deserve, and you deserve to be take to have those desires and needs fulfilled. Um, and so, how do we create a system, you know, even on this small organizational scale, where we all get to feel valued for absolutely no reason? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, because it gets to the heart of one of the big issues with how we treat the land and how we treat one another. And that is that your worth is only correlated with your productivity or what we can extract from you. And um, that is that is a beautiful shift right there. This is Cultivating Place. Farmer Rishi is a regenerative farmer gardener based in Southern California. We'll be right back after a quick break with more from Rishi on what the second version of his Sarvodaya Institute looked like based on his lessons born of burnout. Stay with us. Hey. It's Jennifer, thinking out loud here. Here's my take home from this conversation with Farmer Rishi. Structure joy and fun and worth into your days and your garden life, friends. No matter how many pears or roses you do or don't grow as a result, you and your garden are worthy just for being there. So garden on. We're back now to our conversation with Farmer Rishi. As we come back, Rishi is sharing more with us about the second iteration of his farm and now institute, Sarvodaya, which is the combination of two Sanskrit words into a term coined by Gandhi. Rishi translates this name to mean for the upliftment of all. Getting back to the, the structure of the farm and our organization today, what I realized with with the previous structure of the farm and what we're kind of discussing right now is, is that I was reflecting on both why I can, you know, despite all the difficulties I've had, I continue to, to find myself in the garden. And I was reflecting on how I saw people experience our farm when they visited and and what did they value about that experience? And 
I really started to understand that my own experience in the farm, like I don't, in my garden or my farm, like I don't value how, I don't value my garden based on the amount of vegetables that they give me. I don't value my farm. I, even if my garden did not give me produce, even if my farm did not give me produce, does that mean I'm going to stop farming? No. Like I go out there because food is just one of the ways that I am nourished by, by the garden. And I also saw this in, you know, reflecting back, I saw this in how people experienced the garden when they visited. People weren't actually that often, you know, very interested to learn, you know, six different methods of composting or how to, you know, uh, what kind of fertilizers you should apply and when and when to prune this and that. There was people would show up for <laughs> classes like that, but they would often just stay because they don't have access to a space that embodies the relationship that we were creating between humans and plants in that space right like that was not us the the farm the urban farm is not a space that most people have in their lives where they can see that where one where they can just experience the beauty that a farm can provide two where they can see that human interaction with plants and soil is not inherently negative and that actually human interaction with plants and soil and animals can be beautiful and can be nourishing. Um, so I really started to focus in on this experience and yeah. found yeah. that and yeah. Yeah. what it is that I valued in my experience with the garden and what it is I saw other people were valuing in their experience with the garden. So this is how... Um, the farm has kind of developed now where we're more focused on bringing people into the garden, giving people who don't have access to these kind of spaces, let them have access to the space that we're creating, let them have in points into the community where they can contribute to that space. And, and also just, if they just give people a way to enjoy uh, enjoy the garden the way that they want to enjoy it. So we're actually in the process right now of, of almost reconfiguring our entire space to have as much beauty, have as much space for rest, have as much space for uh, community and, and gatherings. So half of our farm now is being developed into this. Uh, I have trying to figure out still like the words to describe it, but like community gathering fun experiential therapeutic just dynamically beautiful garden space yeah and half of our farm is a, a nursery where we grow you know a wide variety of plants um, to support people in in creating these spaces you know in their homes or their schools or their you know, their own community gardens or other urban farms. So that's what our farm is today. And how big is it and where is it located and how many people are part of this farm community? We're in Pomona, California, which is the very last city in the, on the eastern side of LA County. 
our farm is 0.6 acres. And so like I mentioned about, you know, about half of that is the nursery space and a half of that is the magic edible botanic garden. <laughs> and we have, uh, I think we have seven people on our staff right now. We continue to have a farmer training program, which there's about uh, 12 or 13 people in that right now. We have a membership program of people who um, support our organization and also um, get gardening classes and help from us. There's about 260 people in the membership program right now who mm -hmm. donate, you know, between like five and most of them are donating between five and $20 a month. Uh, we have a, a bee club, which is focused on um, both honey bee care and indigenous bee care, indigenous bee habitat creation on the farm. Mm -hmm. And we are potentially starting next a herb craft club, which will be focused on, uh, you know, medicinal plants and and uh, making medicines from plants. And are you meeting your own goals for evolving the, the language and the conceptualization of this relationship so that you are as well cared for as your garden space and your garden community? And what were the kind of keys to to that structural shift when we were running the csa i was probably working 70 hours a week and uh, you know we weren't making enough money to even pay one full-time person uh i now uh work on the farm uh work on the servodia organization maybe 20 to 25 hours a week. We have uh, uh, one other, we have one full-time uh, person on the farm, paid full-time person on the farm. We have another okay. part-time paid person on the farm. We're trying to bring another paid person full-time on the farm. We're paying the beekeeper. We're paying the event manager. No one is, working themselves to the bone we have a pretty uh flat organizational structure where you know there's uh we have meetings team meetings once once a month everyone has kind of their own sphere of uh, responsibility and we're trying to keep that sphere where you know everyone can feel can feel space to uh, grow and explore their sphere on their own and also, you know, give and receive support to others. You know, we're, we're pretty financially stable with the, uh, with the donations that we receive from our members. And we're, we're, still, we're still trying to double our membership uh, numbers so that we can, we can even offer more programming and, and uh, pay more people to, to be on the farm. Um, so we're, it's in process, you know, we've only been had this structure for about a year and a half, two years. And, uh, it's, I would say it's going really, really well. 
That's great. That's great. When, I mean, I think you've already covered this, but when you think about your greatest hopes for this work as an environmental activator, as a communal model, um, or just its, its impact on you and the community of people immediately involved with it, what are your greatest hopes for this? I really try to not have a mission with our work anymore. We, our team collectively <laughs> has, has choos- chosen the word intention now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, personally, and I, I like that word intention too, like personally, my intention is to have uh, work that I can engage in that I find uh, stimulating and interesting and can uh, can pay me enough to continue to do it. Um, I, my intention is to pay other people to do this work. I, I actually am pretty, uh, that's, a, that's a big part of what I would like to do with this, with this work is that uh, so much of, you know, environmentalism and farming and gardening is, and urban farming and urban gardening is so like volunteer driven. And that is a very, uh, I mean, I really want to say the word racist, um, a very racist structure to these systems because people of color cannot participate a lot of the times if it's, if it's unpaid and internships and yeah it's very exclusionary and it it has a lot of very problematic assumptions yeah. it behind it being that way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I'm I would really like to pay people um and that's why we're doing that um I'm not personally trying to save the world or stop reverse climate change or draw down all the carbon, you know, to bring us under 350 ppm. Like, I try not to focus on any of that anymore. Uh, I really try to focus on giving people memorable experiences, creating spaces where people can find grounding and space and time for themselves. All of the gardening lessons and pruning classes, worm composting. To me, it's almost just auxiliary work uh, to bring people to that that space of of feeling time in abundance and and having, yeah, just having that uh, space to feel your your own needs and and your your own desires and, and have fun, like, we're actually really, <laughs> we're, we're organizationally focused on fun. So we. I, I think that's a great organizational <laughs> focus. <laughs> we intend to have fun. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to add? That's why I like the garden is because it's, it's a mini world, right? And just because it's small doesn't mean anything is missing. You know, you can learn almost everything, you know, even when I'm, when I'm looking at myself or like trying to understand myself, I often 
have to look I think because I spend so much time like with my energy focused outside at the garden like I have to use an example from the garden to help myself understand why I'm doing something or why this is happening. Well, Farmer Rishi, I applaud all that you are doing in the way of structuring joy and focusing on worth and fun and regenerative growing. Thank you so much for being a guest on the program today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Farmer Rishi is a farmer gardener teacher, thinker, and lover of life based in Southern California. He's the executive director of the Sarvodaya Institute there, and he leads by example and by invitation in the field of regeneration, where his intention and focus is joyfully increasing our understanding about the best ways to heal our own bodies and our shared earthen body. Speaking of plants and place and this earthen body and these seasons it offers us, we have just stepped across the autumnal equinox here in the Northern Hemisphere, and the new moon of September is this coming Sunday, the 25th. Here where I garden, almost on the 40th parallel, on the western edge of North America, it might have been a record-breaking 115 degrees here last week, but this week, the late light of almost 7 a.m. and the earlier fading but still lingering light of evening and the chill this morning that sent me looking for my long sleeve shirt lets me know that we are officially no longer in summer. We'll have many hot days in front of us, no doubt, into late October even, but the light tells us a different and ancient story. It is not summer, and all cues from the sun, the moon, the oaks, the squirrels, the deciduous tree and shrub leaves show us the way. A couple of good things to keep in mind right now, even for those listeners in arid conditions and warmer aspects. Most herbaceous or deciduous perennial plants, trees, and shrubs have very different priorities than they did in high summer. Their urge is to be storing energy and setting their amazing diversity of seed. With that in mind, almost all perennial plants, from my native salvias to my Mediterranean lavender and oreganos and my English roses, need and want proportionally less water than they were getting in high summer. And in both warmer and cooler climates on the Northern Hemisphere, everything wants less deadheading or cutting back right now for repeat bloom. So consider readjusting your automatic drip or other irrigation down or lengthening the time between your deep watering of trees and shrubs a little longer. If you were doing it once a week, do it once every two weeks. And very generally, if you have first frost predicted for anywhere in the next six weeks, go ahead and stop a deadheading now to allow your plants to firm up for the winter ahead. The position of the sun and the moon and the temperature this morning might remind you that that winter is closer than you think. But even with all of that, 
Welcome to the many particular splendors of the fall garden, my friends. Like the richness of those autumn leaves to mulch your garden beds and feed your compost, and the collecting of seed from your annuals completing their full cycle. For this week's full episode, including more information and many images from Farmer Rishi's regenerative work, head over to this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. Are you a regular listener to Cultivating Place? If so, and you aren't already a sustaining monthly donor or even an annual one-time donor, please consider making a contribution in support of this work you value. We are listener-supported, and we cannot do this work without your help. We know how important every dollar is in these times. Thank you in advance for considering any level of support for this Garden Life podcast that you value and helping it grow. Contributions can be made through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Listen in next week when we consider this lovely season of seed in the Northern Hemisphere in conversation with Oregonian farmer florist Stacy Denton, discussing her work called Flora and the importance of bioregional seed to all that she does. Join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. Thank you for your growing support. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with tech and web support by Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.